good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to be reading from Leviticus 19 this morning, uh, and I hope you brought a packed lunch because it is quite a long chapter. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must obey my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death, because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance to the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. 
Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. For the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, fantastic to hear you talking, saying hello to everyone. Do grab a coffee afterwards. Uh, great to see Andrew here today. Uh, yeah, God has been so kind um, the last few weeks to the March family, and so it's wonderful. He called him Friday, and he said I was getting a haircut, and uh, wow, that's just wonderful. When, you re- when you're in hospital for a while and you can do things like get a haircut when you get out, that's just so, so great. So um, thrilled that Andrew's here and the family and that you are too. Welcome. Um, my name's Luke and you just heard a very strange part of the Bible read. And I make, uh, I, I'd be proud of that. You've heard Leviticus 19 for maybe the first time. Uh, so we're going to kick through that today and uh, have a look more at what that means and why that has anything to do with holiness. But as we begin... I want uh, to just celebrate the fact that if you're a teacher, and I know lots of you are, that um, you have, you may have a superpower, which my wife does, and she's a teacher of high school students. And um, she walks in to the classroom and watches her students come in, and with a 98% accuracy on that very first day of the very first lesson of the year, how they interact with her as they come in, what they say, if they make eye contact, where they sit... In those first few minutes, she can tell for the rest of the year, I know what this student's going to be like. Almost with a 98% accuracy. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that as a teacher and you can relate to that experience, but the whole idea that she can tell her what a student will be like by those initial moments, those initial actions. And that's not just with teachers, is it? We have moments like that in our life as well. Um, and it's especially true of a Christian. And Jeff helpfully pointed out before that how, uh, how someone is, how they behave, often tells you about what, what that person's like. Um, I was at a pet shop yesterday, and there's a sign on the wall in big letters, and it said, how a person treats a dog tells us all we need to know about them. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Animal shops, teacher at school, we, we get that as humans. And we see this in Leviticus 19. And it's especially true in the key passage, which is in verse 2. And if you remember nothing else from today, just remember Leviticus 19, verse 2. Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I want to explore why that's actually good news. Because holiness, and this is the big idea today, is that holiness is what we become, and holiness is what we do. Holiness is what we become, and it's what we do. And that order is important. You must be holy before you can do holiness. And what is this holiness that I'm speaking of? 
It's not sinlessness. It's not being super spiritual. It's not something reserved for a pastor or a theologian or a Bible study leader or a Christian blogger. Holiness is for every single follower of Jesus. What's more, holiness means you can see the Lord. Look at Hebrews twelve fourteen. Be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So holiness is actually seeing God, knowing God, savoring God, becoming like God. Which is why Leviticus 19 actually focuses on our relationship to God as the way we become holy. And then, in Leviticus, all the laws that follow, they tell God's people to live holy, to be holy, to show that you are indeed holy by how you live. But the trouble with this, and Peter rightfully pointed this out to me this week, the trouble with some of Leviticus in this way is that, and one reason why this law is actually given, is that it shows us we can't be holy on our own effort. Again and again in Leviticus, it sets a standard which we fail and we don't meet, especially God's people back then. Because it does a great job, a perfect job of showing us where you're not being holy. But unfortunately, Leviticus gives no power to obey. It can tell you what you need to do, but it falls short of telling you how that happens. But then in Jesus, where we'll end up at the end of our talk today, the perfect high priest, as we've been looking at, in him we're finally given the power to be holy through the Holy Spirit. So let's explore holiness today, what it means that God is holy and how we can be holy today. And we'll use the same outline as the last few weeks, and you can follow along on the hub. We'll start by looking at the story so far. So where is this in God's unfolding revelation, Leviticus 19? Then we'll look deep down into the passage and explore what it has to tell us. And we'll see who God's character is from that, and then conclude with the how much more of Jesus, how his life, death, and resurrection speaks into Leviticus 19 and the call to be holy today. So let's start with the story so far. We've seen in Leviticus 1 to 15 how to maintain the relationship with God. Sacrifices, offerings, priests, how living just as a human in the world makes us unclean, unable to approach God. How can sinful people live with a holy God? Um, Well, God sets up a whole system of how that's made possible in Leviticus. God's at the centre of life, and this community is to have is having God live among them in his tent of meeting, right in the middle of them. That's Leviticus 1 to 15. And then last week we saw Leviticus 16, which is the centrepiece of the book. It's the most important day on the Israelite calendar. It's called the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the high priest dresses down, he puts on basic linen clothes, he offers a goat as a blood substitute for the people's sin and evil and rebellion takes it into the very holy place, God's space on earth, on the throne, splashes the blood. Then he grabs another goat and confesses the people's sins on it and and, and actually just kicks it out the camp and says, you have to go away now, goat, into the wilderness where it dies. Sin, uncleanness, forgiven, showing us too that it has no place in God's community. God forgives and removes the impurity, the evil on his people. Then we get to Leviticus 19, and we're exploring this question still. How do you live as one of God's people? What does it look like to live a holy life? And so now we've taken a turn from 
not just how to be holy, how to have our sin forgiven and be clean, but actually, what's the practical implication of that? How do you live holy if you've been made holy? And that's part of the law. It teaches you what holiness means in practice. You know, when uh, George the Sixth was a young boy, his mother, Queen Mary, often used to remind him before a public event, she would say, Bertie, never forget who you are. He's a royal prince, and the implication was behave like a royal prince. And in a similar way, God's holy nation set apart to belong to him should reflect the character of the holy God. Be holy because I am holy, he says. And that's exactly what Moses tells him to do in chapter 19. So let's look at chapter 19. And verse 1 and 2 set up the whole chapter. Notice it says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Mums, dads, kids, grandparents, workers, refugees, those with a disability, poor, rich, teenagers, everyone is included in this. And, and this is quite unique to have the whole assembly being spoken to at this time. Not just priests, not just if you've done something that needs to be cleaned, but the whole assembly. Everyone in the community is in mind here. All of you, don't miss this. Holiness is for everyone. Why? Because I, the Lord, am holy. Holiness is the essence of God's character. And their saving, purifying God is seeking to draw people into his holiness. So these commands come from a holy God revealing his heart, which the implication is to you all be holy emulating God's character. The idea, of course, is that God's perfect actions being commended here are compatible with a flourishing life. The fullness of life that God wants for humanity is this. But, unfortunately, as the Old Testament story reminds us, and as our own life experience and royal commissions and just daily living is very obvious, we often don't live holy lives. And as Jeff said, it's one of the accusations against Christians through all of time, you don't live the way your God behaves. Frankly, we just don't act like our God. John Dixon, uh, Australian uh, theologian and historian, said last week on Twitter, he said, rejecting Christianity based on the terrible performances of some Christians is like dismissing Bach after hearing my feeble attempts to play his cello suites. Now in that, tweet, he was referencing a book he'd written called Sinners and Saints, Um, and and he goes on to say, the point of that is, yes, a, a divine performance doesn't cancel a hellish one, but all of this should remind us that a bad delivery doesn't diminish the genius of the original composition. Yes, many times and in many ways, people profess to know God and have failed to be holy, to live holy. But it is not to say the problem is with God or his character. It's simply showing us exactly how the law works. Our sinfulness and the need for a mediator and God's grace. See, holiness is the loving characteristic of God to be demonstrated in his people. And that's what 19 verses 3, uh, sorry, 4 goes on to talk about. It begins with God in his rightful place and then very quickly turns to other people focused. Because God's heart is to have a community reflecting his character in nature and all they do. 
as, as, so we can say, that holiness actually is an all-of-life thing. And you get that just by the smattering of commands that God has. There's some of them you can see. Notice the different spheres of life God's speaking into. What holiness looks like in any given situation. Care of the elderly, loving your neighbor, OH&S, refugees, court of law, um, healthy relationships, environmental stewardship, all these things. God is very interested in all spheres of your life. It reminded me of a quote by Abraham Kuyper, Prime Minister of the Netherlands, actually, in the turn of the century. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole of dominion of our human existence over Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, Mine. There is not a square inch in our whole existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, Mine. And it's echoed, actually, here in the phrase, I am the Lord, 16 times. God reminds them, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, bringing them back to him. Here's the command, I am the Lord. Here's the command, I am the Lord, again and again. And as you hear these, hear the lawgiver, I am the Lord. On Monday at work, I am the Lord. When you're online, I am the Lord. When you're watching Netflix, I am the Lord. How you treat your sick parents, I am the Lord. When you consider refugees, I am the Lord. When you consider your life, I am the Lord. Holiness is for all of life, and it has huge implications for others. Just as God is concerned with others, so should his holy people be. Because holiness implies loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'm sure as you heard the Bible reading, you sat there and you agreed with some of those verses. Yes, of course we should behave that way. Others, I'm sure you were confused at. Why should I cut my hair? I mean, you know, Andrew had a haircut this week. He's, he's broken Leviticus. He's a sinner, you know. Um, you're wearing mixed threads. Sorry, you know, bad luck to all of you. You've sinned and you didn't even realize it. I mean, is that how you should feel reading Leviticus 19? Some of you disagree with parts of it. And if that's you, dancing between, yes, no, not really sure, how does that work, then you've just realized, rightly so, this is speaking to a different time and place than Adelaide today. To a nation that's a theocracy with God ruling over them in a land with priests and a tent of meeting, whose mission is to live this way to bless the other nations through obeying God's law. Exodus 19, Genesis 12, the promise of Abraham. So this is, there is a big separation between Leviticus 19 and us today, but it's not too big because it's the same God that we love and worship today standing behind it. Which means applying and understanding some of these laws is a bit more nuanced today than if you're an Israelite hearing them. And I want to do that with two examples of these laws, highlighting them, explaining them, what they mean today, how we can understand them in light of Jesus and what it means for us. I want to look at human dignity from verses 14 and 15 and then 33 and 34, human dignity. And then the beautifully strange verse in, chapter, in verse 19 of mixed threads. So let's do that. Let's look at uh, dignity and disability from 14 and 15. It says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. If you've 
been following the news. I'm sure you've heard lots of talk about ramping lately in our hospitals and substandard treatment of some people, um, particularly those with a disability, made the news this week. And then the case with Anne-Marie Smith finally got resolved after her horrendous treatment by someone um, last year. And I thought of that, and in a sense, these verses speak into that in a way. But particularly, you have to understand that a society like Israel's, having disability, deafness, blindness, anything, instantly, instantly put you at the mercy of someone else. No health care, no government, no Centrelink, no paid carers leave, none of that. No government assistance. Moreover, in many cultures of this day, disability was seen as a curse. They thought of you less than a human. But that's not how God sees it in his community. By contrast, God has a holy care for those who live in his community. A care based on his character. And that's incredible. In God's community, everyone's guaranteed to be treated well. He says, don't curse a deaf person. It's a broad word, which includes any derogatory term from insulting, abuse, making fun of, just horrible treatment of someone because they have a disability. God's saying, don't do any of that. Why? Two reasons. They've come to a place where if they can't hold their offender accountable, God will. Which is why it says, fear the Lord at the end. God will hold people to account for their actions. So you can be in a community with people that that if they don't treat you holy like God, then the holy God will hold them accountable and, and you need that. And secondly, the other thing is this view of humanity of treating all people like this isn't universally held, hasn't been universally held in all times and all places, and it's not self-evident. God's people hold the dignity of all people because they say it begins with God. And from understanding that all people have worth because they're made in his image, they deserve care and treatment and protection. And today, our culture echoes that, but they don't want the king behind it. And it comes from Leviticus 19. The same idea applies in verse 33 and 34 with the care of refugees. Back in Israel's day, other nations were where you got slaves from, remember? Other nations were never your equal. But the very character and nature of God means that everyone's a foreigner to him in some ways because God welcomes the least, the last, and the lost, just like he did to Israel when they were a slave in Egypt. That's why he says in that verse, don't forget You were slaves and I rescued you. Show that same love and kindness to other nations. So be holy in this verse implies loving all people with the holy love that comes from God. Very unique in Israel's day. It probably doesn't sound very unique to you, but know that it comes from God's character, from the wonderful lawgiver. And what's more, the principle behind this we affirm in Jesus in the New Testament very easily when Jesus says, is asked in Matthew and Mark, what's the greatest command? And he says, love God and love others. The two things that can't be separated. And that's pretty easy to understand. And I think you'll all walk away thinking Luke said nothing too profound today. But I bet you all stumbled over verse 19. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. I don't think you've had that problem this week. Do not plant your fields with two kinds of seeds. No, I don't think you've had that problem either. If you have, then maybe, well, actually I can see a farmer over there. He's laughing. Maybe he did and he messed up his whole crop for the next year, but hopefully you didn't. Um, but this bit, 
Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. This morning I couldn't get dressed. I, I put the wrong pants on in the dark and then I put the wrong shirt underneath. And Tasha said, just go back to bed. You, you poor Luke, you know, you're 33 and can't dress yourself. Um, but all my clothing are mixed threads, unless I've bought bonds recently, which I don't buy my clothes, so I'm not even sure. So I'm, you know, I'm just a walking sinner. It's a weird verse. What do you make of it? And, and more so, why does God even legislate that? And what on earth does it have to do with holiness? Well, the simple answer is, it's all about not mixing things the Lord has created separate. So it talks about cross-breeding and cross-fertilization. Um, it goes back to creation, the wording in Genesis, according to its kind. This doesn't prohibit cross-breeding of sheep or dogs, but a sheep with an elephant, that sort of thing. Keep creation in its boundaries that God has established. That includes sex between a man and a woman, all the way to crossbreeding of sheep. Why? Because actually there's a goodness to what's God, what God has created different and distinct and unique, and there's beauty in celebrating what God has made different. And this culture, Israel, at this moment in time, is called to maintain that, to show that. To live separate, to keep things separate, that's the idea. Moreover, this is directed to them. that The other nations are not commanded to do this. Do not expect other people to agree with what you hold to as a Christian today, and that's very evident. All of this is directed to God's covenant people, not all the world. Then we come to the clothing bit. And notice especially, it says, don't wear clothing woven with two kinds of materials. It doesn't say don't make them. It says don't wear them. And that's important. In Exodus 28 verse 5, there was a group of people who could wear mixed clothing. It says, use purple yarn and scarlet linen when you make the priest's clothes. God wants to maintain a separation from the priests and everyday people here. To keep distinction between holiness and common, priests and others. What he's doing is saying you can't just be a priest because you feel like it. In fact, in Numbers, the next book of the Bible, the people rebel and want to become priests, every one of them. And it's like God has set this verse up to remind them, actually guys, just wearing the priestly clothes doesn't make you a priest and don't mix them thinking you can be. Today, church leaders, by the way, aren't distinguished between what they wear, but by their teaching, their shepherding of God's people, clothing doesn't make you holy, Jesus does. And that thought, that, that line of thought I just traced, could be applied to many things in this chapter, the, the marking, the tattoos of yourself. It's referencing those who have died and mourning them in a pagan, ungodly way. Not just that you want a tattoo, that's a wisdom issue, not a Leviticus issue, that sort of thing. But hopefully you can see, this chapter shows us that the heart of God is holiness for all of his people. That's what it's about. And the center idea of Leviticus 19 is to be holy just like God is holy. And we've seen that it plays out by imitating him in a community. They come from God's character who is perfect and never changing or failing. And while many of these laws have changed since Jesus came and gave us a new covenant, not under Sinai, the law of Sinai, where this is given, in God's economy, holiness is never abstract. It's always relational and experiential. 
So it's, it's God's heart that all of his people from all time and all places would be holy like him. And it's possible to live holy only by the how much more of Jesus, the Holy One of God himself. I want to pick up on, to finish, something that Peter said in the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 68. End of a very long section. He's fed the 5,000 and a lot of disciples leave. A lot of followers of Jesus in that day walk away from him. And Jesus turns to Peter and the 12 and says, Team, you're going to leave me too. You know, everyone else has, what about you? And, um, and Peter says, where would we go? You're the Holy One of God, and you alone have the words of eternal life. And then many years later, Peter wrote a letter. And clearly that moment stuck in his head for the rest of his life, that, that Jesus was the Holy One of God. He is the words of eternal life. Because in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he references Leviticus 19 and picks up his comment about Jesus being the Holy One of God. He says this, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, that's Leviticus now, be holy because I am holy. Peter figured out he understood that personal holiness, if we can use that word, is connected to and centers on the words and the work of Jesus. Which means at its root, to be holy, to live holy, is having faith in Jesus Christ. Because the relationship with God makes you holy. It's there in Leviticus 19 too. Be holy because the Lord, your God, your God is holy. Unless you have Jesus, you will never be holy. You can never be holy. The Holy One makes you holy, and he gives you his grace to be holy, you see? Which means, what does that look like day to day then? Two things, I think, which is important, which we've covered, but I want to solidify it now for us, is that holiness is the best way to do good to others, and it's becoming more like God. We see the supreme example of this in the life and death of Jesus as a ransom, a substitute on behalf of others. It means to love like Jesus loved, we must be holy like he is holy. And that's very practical. Natasha's students, as she can see from the first moment of the day when they walk in, oh, this is how you're going to be. So holiness is an argument in our life that no one can escape. It means that from today and tomorrow and the the week after, God's Spirit is at work changing you, your actions, your responses to mimic God, our Father. The Christian never simply just says, do I love you? It's how do I love you? And that will always mean holy actions like a holy God. Because holiness is the best way to do good to others. And then Peter, the second part, as he goes on to write his letter, after he says, be holy, he says, you've been redeemed from an empty life by the precious blood of Jesus, grow up into your salvation. Which means holiness is becoming more like God. And you can see how they play off each other. It's growing. It's loving what God loves. It's hating what God hates. It's measuring everything by his standard. It's a hearty desire to do what pleases him. It's enjoying God and his word and his people and communing with him. It's, this is the growth Peter speaks of. Again, holiness does not stop your sin, nor do you reach perfection in this life. 
you are holy and you're becoming holy. More and more, every day, one little bit. It's pressing on because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's being transformed into his image, an image of holiness. And if I look at my own life, here's where I think it hits the ground for me. And I thought about this this week. And I want you to think about this too. This is my example and it might be yours, but you'll have your own and you'll get what I mean in a moment. I want to take the holiness that Jesus has made me into my week, to my daily life, to be who God is making me into, a holy person. And it means doing good to others and becoming more like God. So here's where I need to be holy. And it's for, the, it's for me, it's the mornings. Not just that I'm, I'm a morning person, but I, I need to be holy. So the three kids and the dog, we're getting ready and, and life's a bit crazy. And there's a shoe missing and the bag isn't packed and there's no jumpers on and we have to leave 10 minutes ago and we're late and someone hasn't got their lunch and their lunchbox fell out their bag and the water bottle fell over all the carpet and the car's not starting up and, and then it's all foggy and wet because it's winter and I can't see so I have to do that and they're in the car and the seatbelt won't go on. And in those moments... I am not very holy. And my kids, I guarantee, do not see a holy dad. They see a grumpy dad. And I need to be holy in the morning. And often when I run, I've been praying lately, Lord, you know, I want to be a, a good father and a good husband. And, and I've changed that this week because I've been thinking through this. And then it's not, I don't just want to be good. I want to be holy. And so would you pray for that for me? And come and tell me how I can pray for you, because I'd love to do it. But how can you be holy this week? Like I said, it's the mornings for me. If I can get to, you know, just before nine when the kids are at school and I can say, I was holy, whew, you know. That's an, it's not a tick box thing, but that's an achievement. And the next day I can exercise grace and the Spirit of God can work in me again and hopefully we can get better every day. But that I'd be patient like my holy God, that I'd be tender like my holy God, that, I, that in the emotional moments when frustration is there, that I would be kind and, and, and holy, and that my kids would say, it was a crazy morning, but Dad was holy. Maybe they'll never say that, but I hope they think that. What about you? How will you display God's holiness this week? And maybe you'd like to share it over coffee with someone? Share it with me. I'd love to pray for you and um, to have you praying for me as well. But let's be holy like our God because he's making us holy in Jesus to live holy as his people. Let's pray. Our holy God, around your throne, all creation will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. From every tribe and tongue and nation, this is what we will declare one day. And God, until that day, we admit we're not as holy as we should be, but we know that in Jesus you've made us that. In his life, death, resurrection, he has forgiven and cleansed us. And, and if we know Jesus, if we're a follower of him, we are holy positionally. So God, help that to match our daily life. That our families and friends and work colleagues would see a holiness in us. And what we do say, watch, think how we are. For your glory. Not for us but for you, God, the Holy One. In your name we pray. Amen.